Good morning, Highland Heights. Good to see you this morning. It's good to have a mission team back. I have not done that, but I can only imagine how exhausting that can be doing the good work. It's good to have you back with us this morning. A lot of visitors. We're glad to see you, particularly have a little family of my own here this morning from Woodbury. We are glad to see them. They didn't come because they knew I was preaching, I don't think. So good to have them visit. Um, well, it's good to be with you this morning. If you will, open your Bibles, if you don't already have them there, at the book of Philippians. <clears throat> we'll be looking really at the first 16 verses in the second chapter of Philippians, spending most of our time in verses 9 through 16, particularly verse 12, and then verse 12, particularly one statement, work out your own salvation. This section here in Philippians chapter 2 is an exhortation to faithfulness. That's what this is. Paul is encouraging the Philippians to be faithful, an exhortation to faithfulness, to hang in there, to, to endure the ups and downs, to, to the highs and lows. And this is a powerful passage, I think, and it's worth mentioning as we get started into this that salvation is only possible through God. Salvation is only possible because God made it happen for us. We are and are lost without Him, and there is no doubt in that. And we'll expand on that a little bit later, but I might put that in right up front. Salvation is from God. 100%. <clears throat> no one will ever be saved without God first. But God has placed in that plan certain responsibilities. For those of us who are Christians, responsibilities, <clears throat> how we access salvation, how we gain it. It is things that we have responsibility to do and also to maintain it. Now, that's much like a lot of things we have. You buy a new car, you build a new house, you have to maintain it. It's not a one and done thing. You're going to have to have maintenance as you go along. Same with our life in Christ. We're going to have to have some maintenance as we go along. So it's, it's, it's so it is with salvation. So this passage puts our responsibility in the forefront. Now there are a lot of scripture, a lot of passages that puts God's Responsibility of God's doings and, and working on our behalf in the forefront, but not this passage. This is one that puts our responsibility into the forefront. <clears throat> and we will look at these passages that will encourage us to be faithful. The first thing on the list, though, to begin, is we want to put this phrase, work out your own salvation, in context. Context, context, context. Hope you've heard that a lot. Because we don't get the understanding of so many things if we don't know the context. And so let's begin by starting in verse 1 and trying to set up a context for this passage. Work out your own salvation. It does not stand alone. It's not there all by itself. It's in a context, as do all Bible statements. All Bible statements are made in context. Who's being spoken to? What, what is their particular place in their spiritual pursuit? It helps you understand the message. It's no different here. And I think this, in order to do this, we're going to break this down really into, into four sections. <clears throat> Verse 1 through 4 
is the first section that we're going to look at. Now, this is an exhortation to the Christians for unity through humility. Unity through humility. Remember that as we, the whole lesson today, remember that. Unity through humility. Let's look then <clears throat> at verse 1. If therefore there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Okay, stop right there. Here is the unity part. Like-minded. This is the unity, to be like-minded. As Christians, we should think alike. We should purpose alike. We should plan alike. We should have the same goals. We should have the same purpose. We should have the same mission. We are to be like-minded. <clears throat> he goes on, having the same love, unity, having the same love one for another, having the same love for the law, same love for the brethren, same love for the work, same love for the truth. Being of one accord and of one mind. Again, the, the theme is unity. We should think alike, be alike, work alike. We're unified. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness. And here's humility. Lowliness, humility, humbleness. Here it is. Esteeming others better than oneself. Well, now that's just totally upside down to the rest of the world. I come first. I'm number one. It's all about me. I'm going to do whatever I have to have to succeed and get what I want. That's not what Paul says. Esteeming others better than yourself. This is upside down. We want to climb the ladder of success in the world, and whoever you stepped on along the way, that's just too bad. Because, you see, that's the way the world works. But Paul says esteem others over self. We put others on top, not ourselves. Use this statement in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We know it as the golden rule. Therefore, whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do you also unto them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's how we sort of short, shortcut that. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Put others first. How do you, how do you want me to treat you? That's, that's what I want to know. So that's how I treat you. In Matthew 22. <clears throat> Jesus asked, uh, answers a question that a man asked him. What's the greatest, greatest commandment? We hear it every Sunday night. Probably will tonight. Love God, love others. Where am I at? Well, I'm after that. Put others first. Paul said to esteem others <clears throat> better than yourself. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on things of others. Don't be exclusively selfish. But others also are in, can be considered in your self-esteem, to, to be considered in the things that you do. As you look after your own self, you look after, you consider the things of others also. <clears throat> Paul is exhorting here unity through humility. It is inside this context that Paul says in just a few moments that we are going to work out our own salvation. Now, almost seems Paul is, is going to switch gears, but he doesn't. 
but he's going to bring Jesus into the mix here in verse, uh, the verses that follow. He's not shifting gears at all because Jesus is the supreme example of humility through unity. Although he is and was God before he came to earth, he is God now. He humbled himself. He shows us how to be unified. And again, Jesus is a prime example. He never did anything that I can think of that he didn't do already himself. Jesus never asked us to do anything that he hadn't already done. He asked us to be humble. He showed us the way. He asked us to be a servant. He showed us the way. He asked us to obey, and he showed us how to do that. Remember in John 13, he washed the disciples' feet. Such a lowly task. Jesus said, be a servant, and I'll show you how. Jesus taught us how to pray. He asked us to sacrifice. He showed us how, even to the death of the cross. Verse 5, let this mind be in what mind? This mind of humility and unity. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. That being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Jesus taught us how to be humble. He is the greatest example by demonstration. And I can say, I think without any reservation, this was, this was beneath Jesus. He was God. And he took on man to come here and suffer? It, that's beneath him. But he did that. He did that out of love. He said, I will lower myself. I will humble myself. I will become obedient. I will be the servant. I'll be the sacrifice. I'll give it all up. Wow, that's Jesus. And he came here and put on flesh. Flesh that I know from examples in Scripture got tired. I know Jesus got thirsty. I know Jesus got hungry. I know that Jesus hurt. Jesus bled. You know, I, you think Jesus could get a cold? I never thought about that. He put on the form of him and could get cold, the flu. Could he break a leg? Yeah. Jesus humbled himself and put on flesh. But he also, Hebrew writer says that he was tempted like all of us. We don't have a high priest that don't know what we're going through, Hebrews 4, 15. He knows, and he can be there for us. He didn't wear a shield with those science fiction force fields that surrounded him and couldn't touch him. He was us. He was 100% God and 100% man. Why? It was his mission. It was his job. It was his example of humility. His mission was to die a sinless sacrifice so that people like me could be saved. That's exactly what he did. And he has not asked us to do something that he has not done. He is the greatest example of humility. Verse 9 says, Wherefore God also hath exalted him. Why? Because of his humility, because of his humbleness, 
in his unity with the Father, dying on the cross, God exalted him because of his service, because he completed his mission. He exalted him. Now, this is leading somewhere. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. That, everything, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Paul says that if Jesus can live the example, wherefore, see that in verse 9, wherefore or therefore, because Jesus did this, he was exalted. Here's a lesson. If you do that, you well can be exalted. Oh, you'll never be exalted to the level of Jesus. I'm not saying that. But if you live faithfully, if you live in humility and unity, and you serve God and you fulfill your mission, you will be exalted. Jesus was exalted. Then in verse 12 through 16, <clears throat> Jesus lived in humility Humbleness, obedience with his father. He worked out the plan. And it's in that context that we read the next verse. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, I want you to do the same. I want you to work out your own salvation. You will be exalted on high. We will be exalted, we'll be lifted up and live in heaven with God. That's as grand as it gets because of our humility and our service. You know, sometimes we quote these passages and people become alarmed. Oh, you think you can work out your salvation? Are you that arrogant? Are you that pious? You think you can work out your own salvation? All we're doing is quoting the passage. Peter says something very similar. Chapter 2, verse 40, Acts, save yourself from this untoward generation. You can, you can save yourself. Are you really that arrogant? <laughs> you can. Not only can you, you must. Because that's what this passage says. You have to. Someone said, no, no, no. It's only by grace. Let's think about that phrase. Work out your own salvation. This is where the lesson was going to. We set the context. Let me think about that. Now, when you're trying to figure out something, sometimes it's easiest if you try to think the negative and the positive. What does something not mean? So check a few things off the list, and maybe what you got left is the right answer, right? So let's, let's check off a couple of things. What, <clears throat> from a negative point of view, what does that not mean? Work out your own salvation. It does not mean we can earn it. We can't earn it. I made reference to that, getting started in this. God is the only reason we have salvation. We cannot earn it. But yet, it's, it's, there's things we have to do. There are things that we must do, we must obey. And yet, it is also easy, I'm afraid, for us sometimes to slip on this thought. We get the idea that there's things that we must do, but I'm so, I'm just, I'm so bad at it, I'm just disappointed. I just get discouraged instead of encouraged in my walk with the Lord because I keep failing. And so we want to give up. No, we can't do that. We can't do that. We're not going to earn it. We can't get in mind that I'm not good enough. I'm not performing good enough. When Paul says work out your own salvation, he's not saying that you can earn it. Let me show you why. Turn over to Titus. <clears throat> 
Titus, the third chapter, beginning in verse 3. We'll get a little context here. And this is what I want to say in the idea that you can't earn your salvation. You know why? Here it is right here. Paul says, for we ourselves, and that's us, before we were Christians, we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. That's who you were. No, 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 that's not me. I wasn't foolish. Yes, you were. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you were foolish. You thought you had it all figured out. You were deceived. You thought, I can do this on my own. I've got this worked out. Serving divers or different lusts. That's what sin is, isn't it? Serving self, basically. There's something I want. that I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it because I want to do it. Self-serving. Malice. I didn't show malice. Well, you did. Envy. Hateful. I'm not hateful. Well, you're not hateful to your wife. You're not hateful to your husband. Maybe you're not hateful to your children. But you're hateful towards God. Paul says you were. So let's, you see, there's the problem. It's, it's not about saving yourself. You can't do that. You can't earn it because of these things. You are sinful. That's what the Bible says. Let's just suppose then that, that right now, today, mark it on the calendar, today I'm going to sin never again. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm going to live out the rest of my life sinless. Well, good luck with that, number one. I don't think that's going to happen. But number two, even if you did, what are you going to do about these things in the past? What are you going to do about being foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving lust, malice, envy, hate? What are you going to do about those? Because no matter how good you live from this day forward, you are going to sin. You're not going to be able to erase those sins. See, that's the problem. It's not about how good you are. It's about what you did wrong. I'm better than so-and-so. I'm not like so-and-so. I don't have this long list of sins in my own mind. I'm better than so-and-so. It don't matter. It's not about how good you are. It's about the sins in your life in the past. Here God changes things. He says... Now, not by the works of righteousness which you have done. You haven't done any. But according to his mercy, he saved us. There you go. That's why work out your own salvation does not mean that you can save yourself. And that's where God changes things. He says, he saved us. <clears throat> we can't earn it. We can't earn it. The only way we could have earned it was to have never sinned. Well, we've already... We've already messed that up. We've already crossed that bridge. So to our religious neighbors and those who may have a discussion with, if you think you can't earn salvation, we are with you on that. Nobody can earn it. We're with you. We're with you on that. But number two, what it does not mean, it does not mean that we work out our own plan. It doesn't mean that the church is a buffet. You go along the line, you choose the church of your choice, what the world would have you to say. You go your way, I'll go my way. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. I believe it this way, you believe it that way. It doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. That is not, nor has it ever been, an option 
turn back a few pages. Book of Ephesians. Looking at verse 3, starting. Again, Paul's talking about unity, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity through peaceful coexistence, humility. Paul says, There is one body. There is one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. You don't have an option. You have as much right to choose the church you want to attend as the God you want to worship. They all come as a package. It's a package deal. Sometimes I think somehow maybe it's not our fault. Maybe we just... I think we're failing sometimes to teach the oneness of the church. The one church. We see all our, our friends and neighbors and life is good and we think one's good as the next. Oh, my friend, it is not. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are death. Jeremiah says the same thing. Oh, Lord, I know that it's not in the way of man himself to direct his own steps. We cannot chart our own path. We cannot blaze our own trail. How do I know that? Because that's not unity. You go your way and I go my way. We're not unified. You do your thing and I'll do my thing. We're not unified. You ever been to a tree that had apples, bananas, grapes, and strawberries all on the same tree? No. Because Jesus is the basis, and we all produce the same fruit from the same tree. Remember, the context is unity. We're all walking, working, doing, obeying the same thing. Be like-minded, verse 2 said, being of one accord and of one mind. Otherwise, we're all going different ways, and that's not unity. Seeking our own chosen path is not unity. Amos said in chapter 3, verse 3, how can two walk unless they be agreed? Obvious answer is you can't. Now, we have to be ultimate agreement with God. But you see how that works? If you agree with God, and your neighbor agrees with God, and your friends agree with God, and I agree with God, guess what? We're all agreed. We're all agreed together because it's unity. Because we all agree. You have to agree with God, and that makes us unified. Agreement with God. So nothing in Paul's statement about work out your own salvation means... You're going to go your own way. That kind of idea fosters all kinds of false teachings. I know our time is running short, and I'm not progressing as fast as I thought I might. I'll try to hurry it up a little bit. But we cannot walk with God in disagreement. So the positive side of the statement, what does it mean? Four thoughts real quick. Number one, what it does mean is right there in the first word, work. There's something has to be done. That's work to be done. You've got to put on your bat belt and all your tools and get to work. We must actually do something. There's things to be done to be saved. Not to earn it, but to access it and to keep it. If we're drowning and someone throws out a life preserver, we're drowning in the water, we're drowning, we're hopeless, we're lost, we're going to lose it, it's gone. But someone out of mercy, kindness, and love, throws a lifeline, throws a life ring. That's great. You've got to access it. 
You've got to swim over to it and grab that. You're in a deep, dark pit. You can't eat. You cannot climb out. The walls are straight up. Slick as glass. You're not going to get out, but someone looking in out of love and compassion lowers the ladder, and there's a ladder right there it is. Get on it. Climb out. There's work to be done. We must, we cannot, we, we didn't provide it ourselves, but we must put forth effort to use it. We should not minimize obedience, grace, love. Those are God's part. He enacted those things first. And we don't want to discredit those, but there are things that we have to do. Jesus in Hebrews 5 learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. So number one, working out your own salvation requires work. Number two, it requires us to do something always. Look at verse 12 back in our scripture. Reading, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed. Paul says, ever since I've been there and I've been with you, you've always obeyed. We've got to obey. We've got to work, but always. We've got to keep going. He says so much more in my absence and in my presence. You're going to obey. It's easy to obey in public. Sometimes, isn't it? We got our shield up. We're, we're at church with our brethren. We're on our best behavior. But what happens when we are in a private situation? We let our guard down. We do. Satan, that's what Satan wants, doesn't he? Let your guard down. Sometimes it's, lots of times, it's easier to behave better in public than it is otherwise. But Paul says you got to obey always. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. <clears throat> you know that, right? Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Paul says this, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, but not with eye service as men pleasers. Don't do it in public only. You do it public and private. When nobody's there, you still work out your own salvation. So number three, work out your own salvation means no one else can do it for you. I can't do it for you. Galatians 6, verse 7. Paul said, be not mocked. Don't be fooled. Whatsoever man soweth, that's he also reap. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap it. That's your job. That's your responsibility. That's what you're going to get. Nobody else is going to do it for you. You're not going to reap somebody else's good works. You're not going to reap somebody else's successes. You're going to reap what you sow. You have to do it for yourself. And number four, work it out. Finish it. Keep on keeping on. As Paul wrote to Titus, or saw as Paul wrote to Timothy in the closing days of his life, he's in prison in Rome, and in any moment, the, prison, the, the guards will come down to his prison cell, bring him out of the prison. He'll go out to the courtyard. Nero will give a command, and his head's going to come off. And he wrote to him, he says, I have finished the faith. I have kept it. I've done it. I've finished it. That's what we got. We've got to work it out to the end. We've got to work it out. We've got to keep it faithful. But there's a process in all this. Number one, you work. Number one, you work always. Number two, it's a personal responsibility. Number three, number four, you finish it. So there's a process in this of growing and becoming better. But very quickly, how do we do, how do, we do that? There's five things real quick. Verse 12. 
with fear and trembling. Now, a lot of times fear is used with a reverence to God, a reverence, respect to God. But here is fear and trembling. It's like Jesus says, don't fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill body and soul in hell. That's the fear and trembling. You know, there's a good, healthy dose of fear here. We use that on our children. I did. I'm going to beat you if you don't behave, right? So a good dose of fear. You know what's going to happen when you don't complete it. So number one, <clears throat> fear and trembling. The second thing in verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his will. Let God work in us. Don't be arrogant. We can't do this, although we've accepted salvation. We've gained access to it. We can't do it on our own. God's still going to be, let God work in you. There's no better place than Gethsemane. Greatest example. Jesus, who would want to die on a cross? Jesus in Gethsemane said, Lord, if it will, let it pass from me. But, he said, but let thy will be done. Let God work in us. Verse 13, or then verse 14, <clears throat> do all things without murmuring, without disputing. Quit the complaining. Quit the complaining. Paul says, don't murmur, don't complain. Sometimes I think we have to do God's work like being pulled through the mud. Three days of a gospel, I have to come every day to a gospel meeting. VBS, how come it's so close to the gospel meeting? We just went to church half a week, a month ago. Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and how much is enough? Quit the complaining, Paul says, and do the work. So why, Paul? Why do I have to stop the complaining? Why do I have to let God work in me? Why do I have to do this with fear and trembling? Verse 15 says that you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Jesus said in his Matthew, in the Sermon on the Matthew, let your light shine among men. He did not say, shine your light. He said, let it shine. What's the difference? Paul says, in humility, you do God's work, and people look at you and say, I see him. His works are good. Jesus didn't say, go shine your light in their eyes. Look at me, how good I am. See me. No, you do God's work in the humble humility, and they say, wow. What well, Jesus say that your Father in heaven would be glorified? Paul says, do it without murmuring. Do it, cut out the complaining. In verse 16, as we wind it up. Why do I do all those things? Holding fast, the, holding forth the word of life. That's our ultimate, hold it till the end. Paul would have been very disappointed, he said, if I went to heaven and I looked around and there were no Philippians. My labor would have been in vain. I've come here and I've worked with you, I've labored with you, I've tried to teach you, and I, and I get up there, you didn't hold on to the truth, and I'm so disappointed. Paul says that's why you work out your own salvation. This morning, as we offer the invitation for you this morning, if you're not working out your salvation, if you haven't begun to work, then we can help you through baptism, through your belief, obedience, your confession of Christ, your repentance of your sins, God will add you to his church, wash you in the blood of Jesus and the waters of baptism. You will begin to work. That's where it begins. It's not where it ends.
This morning, if you need the prayers of the church for any reason, we can do that as well. Phil, let's lead the song. Thank you. <laughs> 